Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at all the things going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal weirdness. Uh, it's nice to have y'all back, and I gotta tell you, I have been having a crazy, crazy week, um, in a good way, but it's, it's just a busy one. So uh, let's see, since last week, um, when the episode dropped on Friday, I finished my run of shows out in California, uh, Saturday and Sunday that week. Then I headed down to the Oakland Zoo and San Francisco Zoo, where I recorded an episode, uh, the Oakland Zoo, that I'm really excited to share with y'all. And also hung out with Justin Fairchild, former guest and um, the person behind redpandafinder.com. So we nerded out about all things music and all things Red Panda. So that was a really good time. Uh, Justin, thanks for your hospitality. I always appreciate you, my friend. Uh, Justin was actually able to come up to Sonora and see the show. So it's like combining the two things in my life. Yay! Um, yeah, so, and then after that, I hopped on a plane on Wednesday and ended up in Philadelphia, in one of my homes, you know, the one in Philly, and um, spent a whole night there before then Thursday driving up to New Hampshire to go and celebrate a wedding. But y'all know me. And uh, there are plans for me to head to a new zoo to the podcast and uh, do some interviewing. So I'm uh, gonna gonna do the wedding thing, gonna do the the podcast thing, and um, still keeping up with school. And uh, what's that thing that I did once last week? Oh yeah, I slept. I slept once last week. <laughs> Y'all, it is a busy, busy time, but it is awesome, and I love being able to live this kind of fun bi-coastal life. Now, you know, it's worth mentioning that um, this is a conservation podcast, and uh, I do a whole lot of flying and driving in my career and in my world, and I've been thinking a lot about that, and I, I do what I can. I have a hybrid that I drive whenever I can. Um, it's too small to cart all of my drums around, so I, I have an SUV for that, but I'm thinking of trading them in and and getting maybe like a hybrid SUV or, or something. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think I think it just reaffirms to me that we all need to do what we can do, but also accept that like, there's no such thing as a perfect conservationist and, uh, there's no such thing as perfect conservation. So, um, you know, I'm doing the thing and I'm doing the conservation thing and I'm, I'm doing what I can and we're all here together. And I think it's important to remember that sometimes because every once in a while you order a drink at a restaurant and it shows up with a straw already in it and you're like, no, I had my plastic straw. I have killed a sea turtle. And that's, that's not true. Just, you know, it's cool. Just remember to do what you can and, uh, and yeah, roll with it. Do the best that you can, but don't let yourself beat yourself up for the, the things that like, like life happens. Y'all life happens. Humans are the problem on this planet, but also 
we need to exist. We have lives. And um, I think that if we all let ourselves have just a little bit of slack while trying really hard, then we're going to be in a better place than if we're just constantly beating ourselves up for the little, you know, let's just say uh, contributions to the climate problem that we do cause in our daily lives. Because we do. We're humans. We're part of the problem, but we're doing the best that we can, right? So... Cool. Just something to think about. Uh, anyway, for those of you who are not yet used to the podcast, this is Rasafari Zoo News. You can be a part of this podcast by sending me stories to rasafaripod at gmail.com that you think would be good for an episode, or by tagging me in them at Rasafari on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Rasafaripod on TikTok. And of course, make sure you, you know, follow all of those things. Go and like my pictures and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's a good time. Uh, all right. I think that's enough of an intro. So let's get to it. Wow. Two, three, four. Ow, oh, there's a funky monkey, tree kangaroo, or a bin to wrong. It's Zoo News, yeah. All right, so we're going to start off with Zoo News this week by uh, saying goodbye, Toronto. Hello, San Diego, to our dear friend Adira. Now, Adira is a red panda who was born at the Toronto Zoo. Uh, her father is Suva, and her mother passed away shortly after giving birth. And uh, this was a big part of one of the earlier Rasafari episodes. Um, I interviewed her keeper, Lisa Termini, who has become a good friend. Hi, Lisa. And um, we talked about all of this stuff that was happening because we thought at the time that um, her mother was going to be healthy and it was going to be cool and then wasn't. And all of that happened between recording and releasing the episode. So I did a postscript on it and it was just a lot, um, a lot of emotions, you know, but of course the zoo is doing great work, of course. And um, yeah, it's been really fun watching Adira grow. I got to go to Toronto and meet her and it was wonderful. And uh, I'm really excited that if she has to leave the Toronto Zoo, which is one of the best zoos out there, she gets to head to the San Diego Zoo, which is, spoiler alert, one of the best zoos out there. Uh, the last day that you are guaranteed to be able to see Adira at the Toronto Zoo, if you would like to try, is October 2nd. Which also means she might actually be in San Diego when I'm in San Diego. But I'm sure she'll be in quarantine. But, like, I'll get to breathe the same air as Adira again. So that's cool. I'm not a nerd. Why are you looking at me like that? Hey, stop it. Okay, so anyway, moving on. Hurricane Ian has started taking its toll on Florida, and as such, many zoos and aquariums have had to close. Our friends at Zoo Tampa at Lowry Park, the Clearwater Marine Aquarium, Zoo Miami, Naples Zoo, and others uh, have announced that they'll be closed for at least two to three days to ride out the storm and then hopefully get everything back on track. Uh, they've also been putting out some really good content showing exactly how they take care of their animals during hurricanes. Clearwater Marine Aquarium in particular put out a video showing what their hurricane preparation is like. It's pretty cool, especially since they're right on the water. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested in checking that out, now you can go and do that. You're welcome. But good luck to all of the Florida facilities. Uh, let's get through Ian and uh, and keep all of the animals as healthy as possible. BT dubs, I'm totally recording this before the storm has actually hit. So um, hopefully everything was good because, uh, yeah, that's that's why that's where that is at in Zoo News this week. If anything bad did happen, we'll talk about it next week. This year, 
Adventure Aquarium, who we partnered with for multiple episodes, and it was amazing, announced a goal of raising $30,000 for conservation and community efforts to celebrate their 30th birthday. Well, y'all, look, September is almost over. So in order to reach this goal with only a quarter of the year left, Adventure Aquarium needs... Nothing, because they already did it. They raised over $30,000 for this special conservation effort, which I think is absolutely amazing, but they're not done yet. They have upped their goal to try to raise $50,000 by the end of 2022 to celebrate their 30th birthday, because even though that doesn't make sense from a pure, you know, numbers standpoint, 30 and 50, they're awesome, they're into conservation, and they're doing everything they can to, to help animals and local communities and all that good stuff. So go check out ways to help them out by going, you know, checking them out, you know, social media at Adventure Aquarium website, adventureaquarium.org, all that good stuff. Go and help out our friends reaching this incredible goal. Yay, Adventure Aquarium. Ooh, we're going back to pandas for a second. I know, you're all shocked. But this is breaking news. I got this as I was recording. Potter Park Zoo has officially announced the name of the red panda cub that I was begging everyone to go and vote and make sure that it wasn't Ravi. Because uh, we have too many Ravis. Nothing against all of the thousands of Ravis that listen to this, I'm sure. Anyway, uh, the official name of the red panda cub at Potter Park Zoo this year is Wilson. Which, in case you're not paying attention, is not Ravi. So nice work, everyone. In total, the zoo was able to raise $1,440, which they are putting towards furthering their mission of inspiring conservation of animals and the natural world. That's awesome. I'm really excited. And I know that a lot of you told me you went and voted. So really, really, really good job not making it Ravi. Proud of you all. Okay, and now we'll go back to aquariums because apparently I'm all over the place today. Hey, it happens. Anyway, uh, some really cool news out of the Aquarium of the Pacific. So um, over two years ago, there were really rare frogs known as mountain yellow-legged frogs uh, that were removed from California's San Gabriel Mountains due to the bobcat fire. Um, and now they are being released back into the wild. So in total, the Aquarium of the Pacific had acquired uh, 275 of the mountain yellow-legged frog tadpoles out of the wild, and um, they bred them at the uh, aquarium and also at the Los Angeles Zoo. And now those adults are being put back out into the same area to repopulate the area where they would have been killed by the fire, if not for Aquarium of the Pacific. So yay, conservation. Yay, Aquarium of the Pacific. This is all just really great news. And I won't point out that there are more wildfires, so this might have to happen again and again. And hey, we're destroying the climate because that would be sad. So yeah, really good job, Aquarium of the Pacific. That's what matters right now. And speaking of conservation efforts aimed at frogs that are taking place at zoos and aquariums, it's a Pretty niche topic. But anyway, um, Buttonwood Park Zoo in Massachusetts has officially welcomed its newest uh, species that they are exhibiting. 
Panamanian golden frogs. Now, this is a species uh, which is wildly endangered. There have uh, been a lot of discussions about them on the podcast. We even did an episode with some of the conservationists working in Panama to try to save the species way back in season one. It was absolutely uh, one of the coolest episodes. It was so different than than much of what we've done. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. But anyway, this is a very, very cool thing that Buttonwood Park Zoo has done. There are not a ton of facilities dealing with Panamanian golden frogs right now. So this colony uh, represents, you know, yet another institution working to save this critically endangered species. Um, also, the way Buttonwood Park is set up, you can actually see these frogs as well as their poison dart frogs on exhibit before paying to enter the zoo. So they're giving that conservation message to everyone who comes by the area. It's it's in a public park, so it's it's a pretty darn cool way to spread an important conservation message. Uh, I'm really excited to hear about that at a zoo that you may be hearing more from soon, question mark? My voice is getting high again? I don't know why that keeps happening. So something to keep your eye on. Anyway, yay frogs, yay Buttonwood Park Zoo, go team. It was recently brought to my attention that the Indianapolis Zoo did something really cool, and other zoos do this, but I don't think I've ever talked about it on the podcast, so now I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. Um, The Indianapolis Zoo recently had a teddy bear clinic. Now, I've seen this with a bunch of different names, but basically, vet and other zoo staff get together— And kids are allowed to bring in their stuffed animals to the zoo to get checkups. They um, get to listen to them with stethoscopes. They get to do little examinations of them. Um, They have some stuff there to measure them and weigh them. They probably have some threads laying around in case, you know, there are some injuries to these stuffies. And, um... Yeah, the kids get to learn about some very, very basic but very cool veterinary procedures and participate in the care of their own stuffed animal, which is awesome because it really helps to inspire an interest in veterinary work um, in young children. And as we all know from listening to almost every episode of the podcast ever, it is vitally important for kids to be interested in becoming veterinarians and then to realize that there are other jobs in this industry and go and do them because it seems like almost no one actually becomes a vet. (laughs) when it comes to people I talk to. But this is just a really cool way for kids to not only connect their stuffed animals to the animals at the zoo, which I think is wildly important, but also for um, maybe, you know, the kids to be a little less afraid of what might be the scariest thing at the zoo to a young child, and frankly, to many of the animals, um, which is veterinary procedures. So props to the Indianapolis Zoo and to all of the amazing zoos around the country that do this. If your zoo doesn't, maybe take the time to suggest it to them. Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh yeah! All right, so we're starting off this week with some cool news from Nat Geo. Uh, one of the Nat Geo photographers named Javier Aznar was able to go to Ecuador where he was able to photograph the very endangered horned marsupial frog. Uh, So this is a species that was thought to be extinct for more than a decade, but then was rediscovered in 2018. 
of course, this rediscovery totally led to, you know, stronger conservation efforts to try to save the frog. And now the uh, Nat Geo photographer in question was able to actually capture some photographs of one. It's an incredibly charismatic, incredibly cool frog species. So honestly, having those uh, photos is probably going to help make a difference because that's how that works for better or worse. So yeah, it's really cool that these pictures are out there and hopefully they lead to uh, help saving the species. Two osprey chicks have made their debut in England, which is the first time that osprey chicks have hatched in the wild in England in 20 years. Uh, now, ospreys were once extinct across the UK, and um, so this is a really big deal. There are only about 30 breeding pairs in England right now, and the total population in the UK is around 1,500 birds. Um, it was expected that a natural recolonization could happen, but that it would take around 100 years. So scientists stepped in, moved some birds to the area, and it seems to be going well. So um, yeah, this is a, a kind of cool repopulation thing. And uh, thanks to our friends at the Wild Animal Health Fund for posting this story. Um, if you guys haven't checked them out yet, at Wild Animal Health Fund, there's an episode. It's, it's, it's very cool. Very different, very unique thing in this world and uh, in, in the animal world. So uh, I highly recommend checking them out. All right, so we have talked a lot about the whole red wolf conservation situation going on in North Carolina. Um, there are some still there, but it is a very small population, probably around 30, give or take. And um, a lot of zoos are breeding them and reintroducing them, and others are breeding them and hoping to uh, eventually be able to reintroduce those. And this is all part of the Red Wolf Recovery Program, which is um, being done through the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Of course, one of the big problems facing this program is that people are opposed. People think that wolves are going to kill animals and humans and, um, I don't know, pretend that they're Red Riding Hood's grandmother. I, I really hate the hatred of wolves, so I'm more than a little cynical about this. But what I'm not cynical about is the fact that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has set up both in-person and virtual public informational meetings to provide information on the program. Uh, the idea is that you will meet the Red Wolf team, learn more about the program, and engage with them directly with their questions. Uh, there's a presentation by the staff followed by a Q&A period. Uh, they can also have questions submitted in advance at redwolf at fws.gov, which I think is really awesome. So yeah, the whole hope here is to just share information about red wolves and how cool they are and how not problematic they are and how people need to let them be reintroduced and grow that population. And like, you know, I hope I don't know what they're going to say, but I really hope that they go into like ecosystems need predators and like this stuff is important because it is. So hopefully this is yet another step forward in saving the red wolf population. Four cases of avian influenza, also known as bird flu, have been detected amongst the endangered penguins at Boulder's Penguin Colony in South Africa's Cape Town. 
Um, obviously, this is a very deadly and very contagious disease. This is the same disease that we've been talking about a lot that is taking um, birds out of collections at zoos all around the country right now. Um, so yeah, this is really bad news. Generally, um, when penguins get avian influenza, just like most birds, they die very, very quickly. Um, so hopefully this will not be like last year where the outbreak got so bad that thousands of penguins died in these colonies. Um, they are trying to take efforts to help, but it's really, really hard to help when there isn't a cure, there isn't a vaccination, and these aren't, um, you know, in captivity where they could go into quarantine or go into buildings and be taken care of. So, um, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on this. I wish I had better news, but at least uh, our friends at Penguins International and Sankob and all those places will be able to mobilize to try to help out when the danger has passed. So hopefully the penguins are okay. Man, I wish I had a happier way to end that. So we all know about human-animal conflict, and one of the big ones is boats and whales. Um, there have already been, for instance, five uh, humpback whales killed in the San Francisco Bay Area alone this year. Um, collisions with ships are a huge problem, and a lot of places like the San Francisco Bay uh, just have a lot of really big ships that are, are moving cargo and doing all kinds of important stuff for humans. So they kill the whales, and it's it's really a, a problem. Um, basically, there was a study in 2019 that said that it's such an issue um, for whales and uh, other cetaceans and such that um, basically the shipping lanes have become like highways cut through habitats on land, and as such, uh, whales are basically becoming ocean roadkill. Uh, as such, a project called the Whale Safe Project launched, uh, which is founded and funded by tech billionaire uh, Mark Benioff, um, founder of a company known as Salesforce, um, is now working on using AI to help save whales from these shipping disasters. The way the whale safe system works is actually really cool. Um, there are buoys that are fitted with microphones, which hear whales, and then they layer artificial intelligence and models to deliver a whale presence rating ranging from low to high, which uh, ships can then use to figure out if they're getting too close to whales or not. Uh, the same devices uh, on the buoys will also create report cards for shipping companies based on their voluntary speed reductions in areas of whale activity, um, because obviously slowing down is the number one thing that a ship can do to avoid lethal um, collisions. Uh, just to be clear to my listeners, these are very cool special tech buoys, but not baba buoys. I know very few of you will get that, but those that you do are laughing pretty hard right now, and that makes me happy. While this is by no means a real solution to the problem in question, it definitely helps. And um, right now we need everything we can to help save whales and other animals that are being struck by ships like, you know, sea turtles and stuff like that. So uh, hopefully this this pays off. This would be really cool. Baba booey, baba booey, baba booey, baba booey. 
Next, a simple reminder that wildlife trafficking is not only always happening, but it's not just an over there problem. You know, I think a lot of us see seized pangolin scales um, in, you know, Asia or whatever, and we think, oh, wildlife trafficking. So recently, a six-month-old kangaroo was placed for sale on Facebook Marketplace Thanks, Facebook. You guys occasionally like block posts that are totally innocent because your algorithm sucks. But somehow, somehow you allowed somebody to try to sell a six-month-old kangaroo on your marketplace. And this was in Adams County, Pennsylvania, which is right next to Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, which is where Miles lives and I grew up. So, like, this is ridiculous. Um, Luckily, the uh, kangaroo was rescued, which is really cool, uh, by the Game Commission. Um, The six-month-old kangaroo was found wrapped in a blanket inside a bedroom closet um, in a town called Littlestown, actually, where I have gone and partied and such when I was in high school. Uh, There were no kangaroos at those parties. Frankly, I would have enjoyed them more if there were. Uh, The person was trying to get $5,000 for the kangaroo. The kangaroo has been moved to a properly licensed facility, and that is all that has been announced at this time. But I just think it's really worth mentioning because, like, y'all, this is, like, this is where your boy was from. Like, this is insane to me that it's it's a problem there, too. So uh, I just thought that was really something worth mentioning. But I'm not going to totally just dump on Pennsylvania, just because I'm out in California right now, I still have to be cool to PA. Um, And so there's a cool little story out of Pennsylvania that there is a town that is trying to save a rare dog breed from going extinct. Uh, This is the town of Lewisburg, where I also went to some pretty crappy and kangaroo-less parties when I was growing up. Well, now residents of the town have come together to form the BDT Club USA. BDT stands for Barbado de Terceria, and the club is supposed to save that very dog, one of the rarest dog breeds in existence, which is estimated to only have a couple hundred left uh, in the world, maybe around 300 or so. Yeah. Uh, And only 34 of them live in the U.S. at this time. So why was this club started in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, um, when there are just 34 in the whole U.S. and stuff? Well, because the people there seem to care about the dog. That's it, which I think is like a really cute, really cool story. They've started this club, and they are hoping to uh, bring awareness about its possible extinction to people and also to help preserve the breed in other ways. So very cool, very weird, but hey, very cool. I'll take it. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, now, right now, then now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the park of other news. So if you have ever been in the Upper Peninsula, um, then you know, and that's in Michigan, if you don't know that, uh, then you know that they have bears there. But right now they have a really special bear that is living there. Um, It is a black bear with white fur, which is often referred to as a spirit bear that is living in the wilds in the Upper Peninsula. 
the bear weighs about 100 pounds and is um, mostly white or blonde, but does have some cinnamon colorations on the top of its head and neck. This is only the fifth time ever that a, quote, spirit bear has been confirmed outside of British Columbia, making this a wildly rare genetic bear. Okay, so this is this is just very cool. Um, basically, there are a bunch of different genes that need to be recessive to show up, and that's what happens here. And so, yeah, super cool, super beautiful, and um, very rare. Uh, that's all I really have to say about this. It's living there. Uh, go to the Upper Peninsula and try to see it. Just kidding. Don't do that because, first of all, don't go – seeking bears in the wilderness. If you thought you should do that, you're dumb. No offense. I love you. Stay here. Don't leave, but you're dumb. And uh, second of all, um, it's the Upper Peninsula. It's no, no, no. We're not going to rag on places that I have played and frankly, will probably need to play again. What can I say? I was just being a sassy seal. Oh, hey, and speaking of sassy seals, a sassy seal decided to go to a police department in Massachusetts recently. Uh, it showed up at about 2.30 o'clock in the morning. Um, the, uh, the, the seal in question has been named Schubert, and Schubert waddled out of the water and went to the uh, police station where officers felt that it might have been looking for some help trying to get back to the water, which is adorable. Um, so of course, uh, they quickly let the proper people know, including Beverly Animal Control, members of NOAA, the International Fund for Animal Welfare, and the Beverly Fire Department, who were able to get Schubert into a special wildlife carrier without incident. And, uh, apparently Schubert was being very sassy while being taken care of. Uh, Schubert has been transported to Mystic Aquarium in Connecticut for observation and a medical checkup, and assuming every Everything goes well there, will be released back into the wild. But hey, it's nice to know that whatever it was that was bringing Schubert down that day, Schubert felt safe going to the police to take care of the problem. So that's nice, I guess. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, and that brings us to your animal holidays for the week. So actually, um, this is coming out on September 30th, uh, which is Save the Koala Day, which makes sense since this has been Save the Koala Month. So today would really be a great time to doubly save the koalas. I guess. Anyway, and then we move on to October. And October is Bat Appreciation Month, Croctober, Squirrel Awareness Month, and Adopt a Shelter Dog Month, which like, yeah, go adopt a dog. Uh, just don't then send it back to the shelter like a lot of people did in COVID. But go get a dog. You deserve a dog. Everybody deserves a dog. Zoe, if you're listening to this, we have three dogs at home and you do not deserve another dog. You do deserve our three amazing dogs, though, so... Cool, cool, cool. Anyway, that moves us on to some individual days. The 1st of October is International Raccoon Appreciation Day. The 3rd of October is both Butterfly and Hummingbird Day and World Habitat Day. Uh, the 4th is International Zookeeper Day and World Animal Day. And then the 6th is Badger Day, a day where you can badger people that... Nope, nope, wait. It's about the animals. That makes more sense. And those are your animal holidays for the week. Music 
All right. So there you have it, folks. That's uh, Rastafari Zoo News for this week. Make sure that you are following along on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter at Rastafari and uh, on TikTok at Rastafari Pod. And, uh, you know, send me stories and I will say your name. Like I'm about to say some names here in a minute uh, if I use them or not. And and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get this Zoo News thing going week after week and it'll be awesome just like it has been for however the heck long I have been doing this now. Um, so I would first of all like to say thank you to my Red Panda level patron, Laura Shank, and remind y'all that you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Rasafari. There is bonus audio, a couple of full bonus episodes, and some other really fun, cool things on there, but honestly, mostly that stuff. It's worth it, though. Plus, it helps it be a little bit easier for me to make this podcast when I have to travel and such for it or when I have to buy new gear or when I have to buy Zoe a fourth puppy because I mentioned it previously and just probably got myself in trouble. So yeah, it helps. Go do that. Um, or you can also, if you want to make a one-time donation and just like say you appreciate it but you can't do the monthly thing, I'm on Venmo at Rasafari. Uh, I'd also like to say thanks to everybody who contributed this week. See, this is that saying the names part thing I mentioned. Uh, Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kristen Khalil, Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross, Jacob Newman, Liz Dunlevy, and Kevin Williams. And remember, friends, the words, newsy credits backwards, are Steiderk, you swen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.